Welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. My name is Andy Neary. Each week, I sit down with abundant thinkers who are kicking ass in life. And we deconstruct the formulas they have used to have success in business and in life to help you unpack your life, your business, so you can do the same. So put a smile on, grab a pen and a paper, get ready to take a ton of notes because you, my friend, are about to go on a wild ride. Here we go. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. My name is Andy Neary. I'm excited this week to have Doug Bops join me. Doug and I are in a mastermind uh, together, um, and I wanted to share a story with you because it's extremely powerful. Doug is the host of the Adversity Advantage podcast. He is the author of three books, From Felony to Fitness to Free, Faith, Family, Fitness, and The Heart of Recovery. Today, Doug is a fitness coach, a fitness trainer, a fitness mentor, but that wasn't always Doug's story. See, it wasn't but 12, 15 years ago, Doug was not a man, a beacon of health. He was anything but. Doug was using illegal drugs. Doug was selling and distributing illegal drugs. And in 2008, that landed his butt in jail. And it was in jail where his story really starts. You see, it was there behind bars. He met his first mentor in his cellmate of all people. So we talk about that, how this gentleman uh, has became his mentor, though both of them were behind bars for illegal acts, uh, making a lot of bad decisions in life. And we also talk about how the game of Scrabble and exercise allowed him to become a better version of himself while still in jail, which has driven him today to be on this mission he's on to help people overcome challenges, whether it's limiting beliefs, drug abuse, you name it, to live a life of health, whether it's both mental and physical. And I'm really, really excited to share this story with you. We also talk about how Doug has used his podcast to allow himself to make some amazing connections, not only to have amazing guests on his podcast, but how he has found himself on some of the biggest names in the industry. People like Tom Bilyeu, Dave Hollis, Rich Rolls. He was on Gary V's 1.37 PM podcast sharing his story. Yes, his story is powerful, but his ability to connect, his ability to be persistent in creating those connections is equally amazing. And I'm excited to bring that with you. So just buckle up. This is going to be a fun episode. Doug's story is powerful. He's going to make you realize we all have limiting beliefs. We have all made bad decisions, but it is never too late to overcome them. And it's never too late to make an amazing impact on this world. So buckle up, grab a note, uh, grab a notebook, grab a pen, take a lot of notes. This one's going to be fun. Here we go. Let me bring you Doug Bobst. Shift your mindset. All right. This is going to be one fun freaking episode. Doug Bobst, welcome to Bullpen Sessions. How are you, man? Andy, it's, uh, it's, it's great to chat with you on your show. And I know we've connected before and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. You and I, uh, met each other in the fast foundations mastermind, which we're both currently a part of. Yep. And so let's just go right. Let's level set, man, for the people out there listening, uh-huh. going, okay, wait, wait, Doug Popes, no clue who this man is. Tell us a little bit about your story. Where are you from? Uh, what, what was the early life of Doug Popes like? Man, you got like four months. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know what you may have said in the intro or anything else, but I'll just say that you know today I host a podcast called The Adversity Advantage. I've written three books. I've been on all kinds of of media to share my story. I'm also a personal trainer, which I've been for nearly a decade. But it wasn't long ago that I was using adversity to my complete disadvantage. I mean, as a matter of fact, it got me incarcerated and being incarcerated would actually ironically save my life. I was incarcerated on felony drug charges back in 2008 and fitness saved my life from the depths of, this, of, the, of addiction when I was in jail. 
So before I kind of talk about how I went, because I'm sure many of you are imagining, how did this guy, A, how, what, what did he do to get in jail? B, how did he get from that moment to where he is today? Let me paint a little bit of, of a picture for you. So born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, been here my whole life. And growing up, I had just so many different insecurities, trauma, different pain that I battled in some really unhealthy ways. And when I say insecurities and trauma and pain, like what that looked like for me was my parents got divorced when I was five, right? So when it was a rough divorce, they hardly talked to each other. And we would bounce around from house to house like people do when they're going through um, a, a split home where your parents are divorced. The problem was, I mean, it wasn't really a problem, but back then, you know, I'm 33 now, so it's been almost 30 years. I, th- I was the only kid whose parents weren't together out of my friend, my little friend circle um, when I was a kid. So I was always questioning what's wrong with me. Um, you know, what did I do wrong or and why am I different? And that created a initial layer of um, insecurity. And then from there I was in school and for some reason I just wasn't gifted athletically so I loved sports, right? I know you're, you're a former baseball player. I know your passion for baseball and I'm sure many other sports. I shared that same passion, except I was horrible at sports. Uncoordinated, had no balance, couldn't run, couldn't jump, was weak. And so I was the guy who was always picked last for the sports teams. Um, was the person who never made the cut and just was sucked at sports. So of course that creates even more insecurities inside of me. And I was also the kid and I don't know if it was genetics or my environment where my metabolism just kind of was a lot slower than many kids. And I started to gain weight at a young age. So by the time I'm 10, 11, 12 years old, I'm getting a little pudgy. And I think it was also a combination because I was trying to escape a little bit with the food I was eating. I was eating things like tons of pasta, pop tarts, bacon, sausage, that sort of thing, which Honestly, wasn't like abnormal for a kid, I guess, at that moment. But for me, I was probably eating it in a little excess because of, you know, whatever stress I was um, managing at the time. And as I, as I said, I, I was in school and I started getting bullied and picked on. And I was told that I looked like I had Down syndrome. I had no luck with girls. I never had, I honestly never had a girlfriend in grade school, which is very embarrassing to admit. I mean, I'm pretty confident, comfortable, comfortable with who I am now that that doesn't bother me, but that's just to give you a degree of my level of self-esteem and self-confidence. And the first real moment or opportunity, I should say, I got to truly escape from my life was through pot. And when I was 14 years old, I was offered a hit off a marijuana pipe And I felt this monkey come off my back when I first took that hit, Andy. And it wasn't that I enjoyed that hit of pot or that I loved the taste. It was how it made me feel. I was like, all my fears were gone. The fear of, will I ever get married? Will I ever be successful? What will my relationships look like? Will I make money? Will I have purpose? All that stuff was gone by the time I took that hit. I felt completely at peace with who I was. My pain was numb. And so I had to continue to chase that feeling because I was like, wow, this works. I've never felt comfortable with who I was. I've never been able to sit down and just not worry about my problems. I got to keep chasing this. So as you can imagine, by the way, I also want to say, I never thought that when 
I started smoking pot that I would end up in jail. Nobody does. Like if anybody ever, if people thought, and if there was a guarantee and said, hey, listen, if you take a hit off that pot pipe or whatever you're doing, you're guaranteed to go in jail. You know, an X amount of time, you're going to die. It might change the context of the decisions you make, right? And I know you're, people are listening to this and pot's legal in a lot of places. I get that. For me, pot wasn't the gateway drug that was the issue. It was the gateway trauma and the pain that I was numbing with the pot that was the bigger problem. So I started smoking it every day. Um, to, I, could, I started smoking weed every day, and then I started selling a little bit to support my habit, and that um, ends up getting in the way of my interpersonal relationships with my family. My mom and I get into some altercations. She ends up kicking me out on my 16th birthday. I go to live with my dad full-time, 100% of the time, where they were splitting custody before, and I had a really bad relationship with my dad growing up as it was. So I felt a deep sense of rejection, neglect, what is wrong with me, even though I made those choices. But in that moment, I was like, why is this happening to me? I was being the complete victim in my own circumstances. And again, it built more pain and trauma for me to manage. And I think they kind of did it, I think, thinking, oh, you know, he can he'll find new friends that aren't using drugs or maybe he'll get his act together. It just gave me more of a reason to now use drugs because now I had more stuff to deal with. Found new friends that were getting high, uh, skated my way through high school, barely graduated because all my friends and I did was ride around and get high. And shortly after I graduated high school, I began, there's a few things that happened. Number one, I began selling pot now to make money. So now I'm 17, 18 years old. And I'm now picking up a copious amounts of pot um, and, and selling it in, in quantities to make money. And so I'd be getting like a few pounds a week, you know, making some money. Problem was all my profits were going up my nose because I now had developed a cocaine habit. I started snorting a little bit of Coke. I felt this euphoric feeling of being able to be like superior and being able to do things I never thought I could do. And just being like the man and having that huge rush of dopamine that I never really had before that I felt great and I needed to keep chasing that great feeling. But what happened is I also struggled with a fair amount of anxiety and depression as a kid and cocaine and anxiety go about as well together as somebody trying to lose weight and eating pizza every day. It just doesn't work, doesn't add up. So anxiety times 100, panic attacks, I'm just on edge all the time and I'm selling drugs. So I have all this stuff going on. And plus part of me in this moment, I'm like 18, 19 years old is feeling uh, defeated a little bit. Cause I did have aspirations as a kid. It wasn't like I just was like, you know what? I want to be a drug addict the rest of my life. No one thinks that no one grows up saying, you know what? I want to be a drug addict the rest of my life. But what happens is life occurs based on our environment we grow up in. Maybe it's culturally, um, maybe you make some, you know, dicey decisions along the way, something happens to you and the way you respond, of course, can lead you down that path of addiction if you're not careful, which is what happened to me. So I end up having all these panic attacks. And so instead of making a logical choice, saying, okay, Doug, you're snorting a bunch of Coke, you're selling drugs, you're hanging around this crowd, you're eating like shit. Let's maybe stop the drugs, change your friends, you know, maybe engage in some more healthy habits you know, and, and turn your life around. I was like, nah, I want to keep going down this path. Let's just see where it goes. And at that, at this point I've buried, I mean, I, I, I've lost, I, I lost a couple of my friends like it, um, to, you know, 
drinking and driving, car accidents, um, overdose. I mean, I've buried, um, I mean, at this point, I think in my teens, I went to several funerals of people that I hung out with. And I mean, as of today, it's been a lot more than that. And, you know, one minute, man, what, what really did me in and brought me to my knees was Oxycontin. And a friend of mine offered me a five milligram Percocet and I took it. And that same monkey that came off my back that came off when I first started smoking weed, because what happens is when you first started, when you first start smoking, what ha- you develop this thing called tolerance. So you need to smoke more to get that same feeling. So I had to keep chasing that numbing feeling to get that same like monkey to come off my back. I had to then smoke even more pot. And once I couldn't get high enough, cause I was smoking like a quarter ounce of pot a day at one point. Like there was literally like, I could not like smoke anymore. There was not, it was almost like there wasn't enough time in the day. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I turned to that Percocet and then the five milligram turned into 10, turned into 20, turned into 40. And it got so bad that I was snorting um, like three, 400 milligrams a day just to support my own habit. Could barely get out of bed. was spending hundreds of dollars a day on my habit. Half yeah, my left. And not, Doug, not, therefore yeah. right there, I have to imagine you were yeah. also almost forcing yourself to sell more. Yes, it was. I had to play catch up all the time. I wasn't even making any money. I was, I, people were like, aren't you making money? And I'm like, no, I'm spending hundreds of dollars a day on drugs. How am I making any money? I'm eating out all the time. I'm going to strip clubs. I'm not, there's anything wrong. People who do that, I'm not judging anybody who does, but for me, I was spending money to get attention and validation in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I was got to the point where I was snorting hundreds of milligrams a day and my life in itself was spinning way out of control. Even my drug dealing got sloppy. I got burned. I got robbed. I was losing track of things. And one of the things I lost track of was a headlight in my car that I'd been meaning to get fixed for quite a while. My, all my friends and their parents were like, dude, you're driving around with a busted headlight you better get that fixed. Like you're, you're, everybody knew me as the kid who was selling drugs. I was, it, and I'm not trying to brag. It's just like people knew who I was, you know, cause I had been doing it. I had been in the game for quite a while and they were like, you need to get your headlight fixed. You're gonna get arrested. And again, in that moment, like when you're an addict and you're in that cycle of addiction, all you care about is, you know, how you're getting drugs, getting the drugs, selling drugs. It's drug, drug, drugs. Mm-hmm. And headlight didn't fit in the drug anywhere. And um, my biggest setback, <clears throat> excuse me, became my biggest blessing. And on Cinco de Mayo 2008, I was riding around with a few of my friends to go make a drug deal. I had a half pound of pot in my car, $2,000 in cash. And a cop was running radar because, um, duh, it's like one of the biggest drinking holidays of the year. <laughs> Little did I know, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, when you said Cinco de Mayo, I'm like, yeah, this is not a good day to be doing this. <laughs> yeah. So instead of like playing it cool um, and just driving by and hoping he would notice, I flashed my high beams at him, thinking that me flashing my high beams would have him look and see like, oh, he's got his headlights on. He's good. But I gave him a reason to pull me over because his cops are like, why is this moron high beaming me? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Pulls yeah, not, me over. Not, not to mention, <laughs> high beaming is usually your signal to somebody else that there's a cop in the area. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, didn't, I honestly didn't even think about that. You just said you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> so, okay. So now, me, you, now you're pulled yeah. over. Yeah. 
pulled over. My as people can imagine, my heart at this point is in the pit of my stomach. I am incredibly scared for my life because I, I know what's about to happen. I, could, I knew it was about to unfold. And I feel like subconsciously I want to get caught because he, my buddy in my back in the back seat had an open container. They found that. And then he asked me to search the car and I said, yes, searches the car, uh, finds everything in the, you know, I thought I was being very cool and hiding everything underneath the spare tire in my trunk, you know, which is what most people do. I mean, I don't know, at least what we would do. He finds everything, goes in the glove box to get my right registration. There's like a, a wad of cash in there and arrests me and puts me in the back of his car. <clears throat> and I remember just sitting there in handcuffs, man. And I don't know if anybody here who's listening to this or maybe yourself or maybe you have a loved one, I don't know. When you get to a point where you're in a really bad spot in your life, and you're kind of imagining all the, you're kind of seeing all these, every poor choice you made kind of comes to a head. And you're like, how did I get here? How did, how was I this kid who was this super sweet kid, you know, as a young adult that had dreams that was polite in, in many ways and loved sport? How did he get to now he's in the back of a cop car in handcuffs? And the only thing he wants right now is more drugs and a cigarette. How did that happen? And it was a lot of poor decisions, man, that just never got addressed. I never, I, I think a lot of people, when they make those sort of bad decisions, if they can just stop like one, two, three decisions in, kind of go a little bit and kind of just change directions and pivot, you can get out of it a lot easier than if you make a 50 of them. And then you're like trying to backtrack and you're like lost in the middle of nowhere without a map. And that's where I was. I had no map. And I and think so it's I, important though, yeah. right there, if I could stop, I mean, the lesson I want everybody to hear in that is for you, it was not a week's worth of bad decisions. We're talking years yeah. worth of one bad decision after another. And it's so easy, especially since we're doing this interview in 2020 to blame your current circumstance on outside factors. So you could have sat there literally, and people probably would have in the back of that cop car saying stupid headlight. If I didn't have, if only I had gotten that, no, 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 no. It was choices. One of which not getting your headlight fixed, but it was a year's and years worth of poor choices that led you to sitting in that back seat in that moment. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, ton, it was a ton of bad decisions on my end. And um, it, it was just weird. You're sitting there and you're like, how did I, how did I get here? Right. And I remember the next thing that happened was I got taken to jail, got booked, charged with the felony intent to distribute marijuana. Yes, it was a felony back then. And so it's just weird. It's, and it's honestly, it's, it's funny telling the story now. But what's important for me to share in this whole thing is I always looked in, and I always say this to anybody, anybody who's ever come to me, whether it's a parent, whether it's somebody who's doing drugs themselves, and they're, they're saying, oh, I'm just smoking weed. Or I'm, doing, I'm like, well, why? Like, what's the point? Like, why are you doing it? Like, how is it helping your life? And I want to say, if somebody's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm living an amazing life. I'm successful. I'm happy. My mental health's good. I have good relationships. I'm showing up to work. I have dreams. I'm driven. I'm, 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 I'm fulfilled. And I'm smoking a little weed. Of weed. Like, who am I? I'm not going to tell any. My job isn't to tell anybody what to or to not do. I'm just sharing my own experience. Yep. But what I do know is, is that if people start doing stuff like that for the wrong reasons, maybe they have that trauma like I had or pain and 
may get the same feeling I did, which is a feeling of being able to escape and numb themselves out, you can set yourself up to go down a really dark path if you're not careful, a path that can lead to jail, death, you know, in and out of rehabilitation centers, broken relationships, and go on and on. So I get charged, and a few months later, I go to court. And again, you would think after I got charged and arrested and everything else, Doug might be like, you know, and, and, I'm, and I, I don't mean it's, I'm not trying to be important by talking to a third person. I'm just saying, you know, just in some context that might, like Doug back then would have been like, well, maybe it's time to maybe get your life together and stop doing drugs. But no, again, more pain. Now I'm facing drug charges. I'm facing potentially going to jail. I mean, I mean, it's like all these things are just adding up. And so I go to court and it was September of 08 and the judge uh, sentenced me to five years. Uh, everything night or he first, he convicted, he found me guilty of the felony of the to distribute marijuana, found me guilty of that. And then sentenced me to five years, everything but 90 days, uh, five years probation, two hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But he said, Doug, you're young. If you complete everything without messing up, because this felony conviction is going to haunt you the rest of your life. He's like, if you complete everything without messing up, no misprobation appointments, you do your time, you do your community service, you pay your dues, all that stuff. I'll take the, the felony conviction off your record at the end of the five years of probation. And at that point, Andy, I'm 20 years old. I didn't think I was gonna live to see my 25th birthday. Like I had said, I'd been to several funerals at this point. I was like, it's 2008. Isn't the world supposed to end in 2012? Remember that whole thing that was going on back then? I was like, ah. Yeah, the Mayans, by the way, were eight years too early because it's happening yes. in 2020. Yeah, exactly. So. exactly. They, <laughs> they missed the mark a little bit. And, and so I just said, you know what? I took the deal, got out, um, kept, clearly I kept getting high. And then reported the jail a few weeks later ironically a week after my 21st birthday and the last thing i did was snorted a few hundred milligrams of oxy i was like you know what this is it and um i reported to jail and i i walked into those gates incredibly scared i was crying i was incredibly obviously disappointed in myself tons of regret shame anger and i was uncertain Cause I mean, I had these stigmas. I was like, you know, what's going to happen in jail. I mean, I don't want to get into, mm -hmm. you know, the detail oh, of yeah. thoughts, but you can know what I'm talking about. Like what's going to happen to a guy like me yep. who's unathletic, who, you know, wasn't a fighter, you know, scared, you know, what was going to kind of things would happen. And I detox cold Turkey in there. And for people who don't know what that feels like, um, it's like having the, the worst case of the flu for three weeks straight with the level I was of stuff I was doing. You're vomiting uncontrollably, bowel movements all over the place. You're shaking, sleepless nights. You feel like you're trying to crawl out of your own skin, aches and pains. Because you're used to, um, you know, with the like numbing all this pain and pretty much tranquilizing yourself with all these painkillers. That you're not, you, you, like certain things that used to or normally would hurt somebody or might like certain movements like hurt more now because you're so used to being sedated. And, and tranquilized. Um, and then I, as I'm like getting through the detox, like, you know, you alluded to before, on our, before we got into our conversation was my soon to be cellmate was sitting there at the Scrabble table playing Scrabble. And now, now playing board games was not really something I did. I played a little bit of chess when I was a kid, but I remember him looking at me and he took some interest in me. He's like, you know, what are you doing here? And I remember sharing my story and I was like, Oh, you know, I'm in here for this and here for that. 
and he just had me kind of sit down and I watched these guys play Scrabble. And, um, I remember him looking at me and was like, you know, you're going to work, you're going to work out with me. Uh, you're gonna start working out with me. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? There's no way. Cause at the time, man, I, I could have been a model for Pillsbury. I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I was, you know, as unathletic as they come, as I've mentioned a few times. And I had no confidence in me. So me trying to work out and doing something such as doing a push-up or running when I knew I hadn't really done that before in my life in front of a bunch of grown men wasn't something I wanted. Grown men in jail. Yeah, it wasn't something I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then that night, I just I saw him work out for hours, hours, man. Push-ups, pull-ups, running. I was like, who is this guy? And so – just like anything else, kind of like, it's funny, kind of like any kind of coach, client, trainer, client, we started building some rapport, right? In our cell, sharing my still more of my story, learning about his story. And what he really had me realize was I had been a victim um, most of my life, just with blaming people for my problems, blaming my addiction on my parents' divorce, blaming it on the girls that rejected me, blaming it on this, blaming it on that. And he looked at me and he said, you know, there's plenty of people who, parents get divorced. There's plenty of people who um, experience abuse. There's plenty of people who get picked on or don't get picked for teams, but they don't all end up in jail or addicted to drugs. You did. So that's your stuff. You have to own that. And I'm like, huh, he's right. And he, I remember him saying like, if you're going to change, it's going to be up to you. No one's going to do it for you. You, if you want to change, it has to be you. And I felt empowered in that moment and decided to give exercise a try and got down, I was in the common area of, of a bunch of grown men, got down to a push-up. Sadly, couldn't do a push-up, not even from my knees, could barely walk up and down the steps. And we set a goal to do 10 push-ups and run a mile by the time I left my sentence. And with his encouragement and training me in there every single day and holding me accountable, I was able to do it. I was able to run a mile, do a set of 10 push-ups. And I felt this new sense of self-esteem, confidence, dedication, commitment that I never had in my entire life in the, at that time because, and it wasn't because of the push-ups and the sit-ups in itself. It was more about what, how they made me feel. I felt this, you know, this sense of accomplishment. I felt like I was taking care of myself for the first time, setting and achieving goals. All these things we know today to be important was something that I learned when I was in jail. Well, and who, who would have guessed that your first true mentor in life <laughs> would have been the guy that you shared a prison cell with, right? And yeah, it's, I think it's, it's important. One thing I want to add to your story here, because it's a word that popped into my head as you were telling it, momentum. Mm. A lot of people think of momentum in a positive sense, right? And that's yeah. true, but there can be such a thing as negative momentum. Yeah. And when you apply one bad decision after another, after another, that creates that flywheel of negative momentum. And when you tell, told the story of how when you got to jail and you went cold turkey and it was like literally you were crawling out of your skin, it, made, it brought a vision to my head of almost like those years, all those years of bad decisions were literally finding them, their way out of your body. Yeah. And it's painful. <clears throat> you know, you can stack days, man. And I love, I love the importance of stacking your days in a positive way and in a negative way, like you alluded to. So let's just say for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes a day, whatever it is, you're engaging in things like doing drugs, alcohol, 
social media. I mean, I mean, and, and with all this, it would take more than that. I'm just saying just for a time, just to, just this amount of time, social media, you're playing the blame game. You're getting into arguments with people. You're um, spending like uncontrollable amounts of money. You do that for three, four weeks straight. Think about how much worse your life will be in three, four weeks, three, four months. Where's your life going to look like three, four years, mm-hmm. 10 years. Where's your by just making poor decisions for less than an hour a day. Yep. Right. I think, I think one of the best things that probably ever happened to you was hitting rock bottom. Yeah. I think, and I, I don't, about, I don't wish that on anybody. I, no. I think there's people that are like, I wish I had your story. I'm like, do you like, do you really wish you had my story? Cause let yeah. me tell you what I had to do. And it wasn't easy. And I had help along the way. I had some great people come into my life. I had my, you know, I said my cellmate or and other people, but it's hard, man. Like do And I think a lot of people don't make it out of rock bottom. Because they don't have, I don't want to say the courage because I think everyone's courageous, but they don't have the patience to stand in the storm when it's raining. Everybody wants to put their umbrella up really quick and hide from the rain when it's pouring on you. Mm -hmm. But I think when you can just stand there in that storm and just believe that you're in there to get stronger, that you you believe you're in there to get better and that you're, the rain's going to stop at some point, mm-hmm. but is it going to stop because you trusted it to stop or is it going to sh- stop because you tried to force it to stop and you end up making a bad decision, right? Yeah. And, and then, so you can also stack days in a positive way. If you were spending in, I mean, it's just safe, you know, you're spending an hour and a half, two hours a day, which isn't a lot, you know, you're exercising, you're listening to podcasts, you're, um, uh, you're meditating, you're talking to positive people, you're doing all these things and over time you'll stack your days. It's funny. I just had Robin Sharma on my podcast um, and interviewed him and he talks a lot about this very things um, that he's been saying for years about the more, the routine and how important having a routine in the morning can literally not only change your life, but completely transform it because mm-hmm. you stack these days. And it's just like you talk about, just like I talk about it's the same kind of thing. Like, how you spend your time adds up. And I think a lot of people, they let one bad day turn into three, four, five, and they look back three, four, five months from now, and they're like, what the hell happened? How did I get from here to there? And it's like, well, you couldn't manage that one day. And, and so going back to, you know, to finish up my jail story really quick, and then we can get more into the weeds of some habits and that sort of thing that I've developed now is when I left, it's like, so when I went in, I went, I went in crying cause I didn't want to go. When I left, I cried cause I didn't want to leave. And I walked up to my cellmate and I just remember saying, Hey man, like, how am I ever going to repay you? Like, how can I, it's funny. I think of like that Lee and rhymes. Like, how can I, how do I live without you? <laughs> <laughs> again, a, weird, again it is. a very weird song when you're thinking about two cellmates talking, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I didn't. I, I remember, I know, I know. you know, you know, you know what I'm getting at? It wasn't like in a, in a in a way where I was like, oh, I'm gonna miss you because we were dating. It was like more. <laughs> no, <laughs> the words we're talking about the words here. Like how? Yeah. Yes. How can I yeah. live without you? Yeah. Like because I had just grown so attached to him yes. in there. Yep. That. But a lot of people say that, don't they, Doug? If they've been, spent time in jail, there's also there's also that fear of leaving. Yeah, because I didn't know how I was going to adjust um, when I left. Like I didn't know how I was going to survive and adapt. And that was the thing I was worried about was how was I going to live without him? Like, because up until that point, my life was spiraling down. 
um, super fast in a bad way. And then I get to jail. He helps me along. Yep. And then I'm like, all right, like the only con the only thing that's changed is having him in my life. So I need to keep him around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said, how am I ever going to repay you? I definitely obviously got emotional. I cried because I felt like this unexpected angel came into my life and sit and help save it. And he said, just pay it forward. And, um, you know, don't mess up. And he gave me a workout plan that I still have framed in my place. So I never forget where I came from. Got out, was driven by not letting him down and um, just not wanting to go back to jail. That I stayed on a workout plan, lost 50 pounds, and then got to a place fitness wise where I wanted to help other people use fitness to change their lives. And that's why I became a personal trainer was to help pass the torch on, if you will. And use the same lessons I had learned about the power of fitness to help other people and um, was blessed to build a really successful personal training business. This is back in April of 2011 is when I started training. And time flew by, man. And January of 2014, I had completed all the stipulations that the judge had given me. And I'd actually been featured in some media at the time too. Um, for my, like, I think my... my uh, my story had gotten out a little bit because I was very open about it. And the judge uh, granted me the modification hearing. We went and he took the felony conviction off my record That's because awesome. I completed all the stipulations. I served the five years probation, did the jail time, did the community service, paid my fines, never missed a drug test, um, stayed clean off the drugs I was abusing. And I never really knew how much life could change in a matter of moments, man. And it did for me in that, that day. And I took it upon myself to know that I wasn't just here to be a trainer. Like I love training people and I love helping people, but I think the bigger reason is to share my story to help other people kind of get through this block and help save people from addiction. And it inspired me to write my first book from felony to fitness to free. And then I was voted as a fitness hero by the Baltimore sun in 2015 and just have been on a tear since then really wrote two more books, faith, family, fitness, the heart of recovery um, have been featured on media outlets such as the Today Show and Men's Health. I've been on, you know, Rich Roll's podcast, Impact Theory with Tom Billiou. Uh, and then I have my own podcast where I've interviewed some incredible people too. And the last thing I'll say is I don't think any, a lot of this have, would have hit, wouldn't have been done without a few things, being tenacious, like just not giving up on myself and relationships. And I think those two, I mean, there's obviously there's plenty of other variables, fitness, everything else, but you know, a lot of the people I've met along the way have been through relationships and developing a better relationship with myself and being tenacious and not giving up. Like I was able to um, speak to the Clemson football team with Dabo Sweeney last year and share my story to their team. And that was through a relationship and it's like relationships are everything. Um, let's go there because there's go. so many to un, so many things to unpack from that. Yeah, story. yeah. And, so, and I got time. This so. is why I love having you on. It's your power yeah. of your story because it's your story, but what you've done with it that has allowed you to make some great connections with some great human beings. Yeah. And going back to your time in prison, what yeah. would you say? I mean, the obvious is your mentor showed you what exercise meant and and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But really what were the lessons, the one or two lessons you took away from the, the mentorship, the time with him that you apply today? Um, there's a few, I think for one, it's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta be the, the hero of your own story. Like no one's going to change or do the, the work for you. You have to do it because for the longest time I was waiting for someone to come save me. And when you wait for someone to come save you, you get really lonely because no one's coming to save you. It's a hard truth, man. Yep. Um, and to know that if it was, 
if it was going to be, it was literally going to be on me to make those decisions to change my life. And if I got some help along the way, cool, but there's no guarantee that was going to come. So it was more so along the lines that I had to take responsibility for my choice and my actions. Um, and he told me some hard things that I didn't like to hear. He called me, I mean, I remember, you know, he, he was very honest with me about why I couldn't do a pushups because I was fat. Like I was, that's a truth, but I hated hearing that word. And there's a lot of people that I'm sure don't like that word, but for me, that fueled me that drove me. Cause I was like, I never want to be called fat again, ever, ever. And I think you have to attach a deep, and I mean deep emotional why to whatever you're trying to do. And I learned that in jail before the, before life attaches that why for you. Like I had every opportunity to attach that deep emotional why before I went to jail. I mean, I lost friends. I mean, my, I hadn't gone to the bathroom for like a month because I was so constipated from doing so much oxy. Like there was, my life was falling apart. Like I should have in real time been like, you know what? Like maybe it's time you change so you don't die. Yeah. But life attached the why for me and I went to jail mm. and I was fortunate enough to come across a guy, my cellmate that helped inspire me to get going, to change the way I dealt with my stuff. But then after I got out, what should help me was when I was in jail, I attached a deep, meaningful why to why I wanted to change my life. It was because I didn't want to write my mom another letter like I did. I didn't want to see her cry on the other side of the glass. I didn't want to spend another Christmas behind bars. I didn't want to disappoint people. I didn't want to disappoint myself. There's so many that are deep. Like that's deep, man. Like saying you don't want to be in jail during Christmas is deep. And I it's think it's not just about like losing 10 pounds. It's like, no, I don't want to be in jail during the holidays anymore. And I think it also, you know, it's that whole put a frog in, in water and slowly boil it. Doesn't realize it's being boiled. That's kind of what was happening to you. Right. And, and it happens to so many people. Oh, one bad decision today. It's not going to be a big deal. Eh, a couple of bad decisions these, this week isn't going to be a big deal. But you, again, you apply that over and over and over again. You don't even realize how down your life has spiraled until it's too late. Now, fortunately for you, you hit rock bottom. You found a mentor. And I think one thing important with this mentor, and it's so important with any mentor, you didn't like hearing you were fat, but you know what? He told you the truth. Think yeah, about one of the biggest thing right now, Doug. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, sugarcoat shit. I hate that because too. Because they I don't think... want to hurt feelings. But no, no, no. Sometimes you got to tell the truth. You know, a good coach, I feel like, doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He tells you what you need to hear. He or she tells you what you need to hear, yep. right? Yep. And... um what's the old saying? You can't put a lips, you can't put lipstick on a pig. And that what they, yes. Yep. And that's like the thing, like the pig for me was my addiction and my trauma and everything else, you know, everything else that I was trying to sugarcoat and saying like all my choices that I made in response to all that I was trying to sugarcoat and blame other people. And, um, you know, I, I tell people right now, like a short term hard truth is better than a long term lie. And if you're lying, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're lying to yourself, again, two days, two months, two weeks, two years, over time, that's going to stack up. And sure enough, your perception of what your life actually is, is so far off. And because you've lied to yourself, you're lying to other people, and you, you like believe this other life that doesn't even exist because you have just not wanted to take a cold, hard look at yourself and swallow your pride a little bit and be like, you know what, like, this truth hurts right now. Maybe I do need to lose some weight. Maybe I, maybe it was my fault. I shouldn't have said that. 
maybe I could do a better job of managing my emotions. Maybe I need to go to therapy. Maybe like whatever it is that you could stop the bleeding right then and there and say, okay, I'm going to pull the bandaid off. It's going to hurt. It's going to be like a 10 pain right now. Yep. But that 10 pain over time will become like a one or a two. If you manage it in the right way, it might come up a little bit through here and there with different situations. But what happens to that long-term lie, Andy is when you rip, you don't even, you fully don't rip the bandaid off. And that pain's like a constant six or seven because you're short term alleviating the pain, but you're, you know, long term just creating more of a problem in your life. And I will say also that it doesn't mean that you um, just beat yourself up when things aren't going well. It doesn't mean you just start talking horribly down to yourself. Like that doesn't make anything any better. As a matter of fact, like I, I advise people not to do that. I advise people when they're starting to go down that spiral to accept it. Like it's okay. It means you're a human being. Like it's going to happen. You're going to have bad days. There's going to be moments where you're depressed. There's going to be moments when you're anxious. There's going to be moments when you're stressed and you're going to have nights where you don't sleep well. Cool. Like congratulations. You're a human being. Like what are you going to do about it? What's the next step going to be? Right. And your approach has to be positive. And I don't mean like, that everything in your life is positive. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think everything in life always is positive. It's not. But what I do believe is that the mindset and the approach you take has to be positive. You have to believe that whatever you're doing, you're going to achieve. You have to believe uh, whatever steps you're taking to lead you in the right direction. You have to believe that if you do certain things on a daily basis, it's going to add up to achieving a bigger goal. Yeah. I mean, there's so many lessons that come out of your story, Doug. It's, you know, when I think about, addiction yeah it comes in so many forms but ultimately it leads to unhappiness it could be addiction to drugs it could be addiction to porn it could be addiction to money right how many people do we know are constantly chasing that next high because the current win the place you are in life is never good enough i was there with sports and and Mm. and it it impacted me in business early on where i just was never happy because i was always like that's great but i'm on to the next goal i'm on i was almost addicted to the next thing and that can like i said that leads to unhappiness and a complete lack of fulfillment but here's what i love about your story it's like the first half of your life was all about bad decisions the second half now has been about great connections Mm. And I want to talk about that because you've been able, you said it earlier in your pot, in the, in your story, some of the shows you've been on, like not just everybody, get, anybody gets on these. I'm just going to, for the people listening in, let me, let me read a couple. You were on Tom Billy's impact theory, right? Tom Billy has got millions of followers. Uh, you were on the one thirty-seven PM podcast, which is tied to Gary V Dave Hollis's rise together, rich rolls podcast, the today show. I mean, your story alone does not get you there. Yeah. There has um, to be, you used the word tenacity earlier. Mm. And again, I know there's a lot of sales professionals listening in. Um, how, wh- how, does it, ten, how is tenacity applied to your ability to make these great connections in life these days? Yeah, I'll get to that in just one second. But I first want to kind of uh, say something about a point you alluded to before you asked the question, which is about how you kind of became addicted with um, your sports. Right. And I think so many people, when they hear the word addiction, they think just drugs, alcohol, maybe some might say sex, gambling. Addiction can be social media. Addiction can be to drama, complaining could be to food. We know that, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, um, vanity, 
um, lying. I mean, there's so many addictions. Like an, an addiction to me is something that you do um, that has that you that's it, it, bad enough that it starts negatively impacting your life, or you're, or you're using it. You can't live without it, and it's negatively impacting your yep. life. Like obviously, we can. You know, you can't live without water, but that's a positive impact for your life. You know, like <laughs> so. Um, so with that being said, going back to your um, original question. I just had this deep sense of calling between you know my faith in God and everything else that I was meant for more to meant to share my story to help other people and the the relationships I think now like i I've just always just ever since I saw my cellmate to take such interest in me it cha- it changes your perception on things when somebody really goes um above and beyond and, and does a big level a big act of service for you that I just kept investing in the right relationships and kept following my journey and taking risks. And you talk about stacking days. I, I stacked what's next, like what's next, right? So I, for me, it was like, well, what's next? I just was able to do a set of 10 pushups when I couldn't do one. What's next? Well, I'm going to run a 5k. What's next? I'm going to bench 135. What's next? I'm going to become a trainer. What's next? I'm going to get the felony off my record. I'm going to write a book. What's next? I'm going to share my story. And what really got the ball rolling for me was a mentor of mine um, had recommended a pub, a publicist at the time. This was years ago. Cause I was like, dude, I, I was, I've been on, I had been on all the local media. Just my story got around and I just said, I want to get my story known go on a national level. I was like, I feel like if I could get my show or my story on something big, it would completely impact so many people and could change my career. And I ended up taking a big risk and spending a bunch of money, you know, a bunch of money and hiring a guy that I was really aligned with as a, for PR. And I just said, I, where I was, and this is before like a lot of the podcasts, it was, um, I just said, listen, this is my story. I think we're in a unique time right now. You hope there's an opioid epidemics at an all time high. People are struggling. I think with my story, it's unique in the sense that I've really found other ways to navigate my pain through positive ways, fitness, um, you know, my friends, my choices, purpose, which I think there's a, there's a lot of correlation between what my, what I did other recovery programs, but I never went to AA or NA, which was very unique. Um, and so I ended up having a conversation with this guy and I was like, dude, do you think we have a chance? Like, yeah. And I, I found out what this guy did and he had a, um, done some incredible things and he ended up getting me on the today show and today's show came here for two days, spent two days with me and ended up releasing like a seven minute documentary on my story. And then I was able and then, of course, through this time, I'm building relationships with other people, which then they introduced me to, to you know, I had different friends introduced me to other people where I would just get, say, hey, do you think they would be interested to have me on this show? And I would just ask. They would say yes or no. And you meet people through the personal development space or through the fitness community. And a lot of it, like some of the shows was either through a, like a relationship, like the podcast and other ones was, I mean, I'm just reaching out, being tenacious and not being afraid to say, get told no. Yeah, and, I think I think you're and what happened the, the today show, the one thing too is like being tenacious is important in risk. Like I pulled a lot of I pulled a lot of money out of my out of a Roth IRA. I mean, and it's like a no no, right? It's like a no no. But I knew in my gut, I was like, you know, I can't take money to my grave, but I can take the amount of, I can like be take fulfillment in the amount of lives I'm going to change from sharing my story to my grave. And I knew that as an entrepreneur, being somebody who was by myself, I had to invest in myself. Like I like you know, when you're working at a corporate job and you're working for somebody else and you have a retirement plan and you have more of a set stable income where you know you're going to get certain things, 
the future's a lot easier to predict. So you can put away more. And this is my opinion. I'm not a, you know, I have people who manage my money and, and that sort of thing. And I'm not here to say what you should or shouldn't do with, with yours. But for me, that's what I felt called to do was mm-hmm. do that. And, and I ended up paying off because now, you know, the Today Show came and did this amazing story on me. Then I ended up getting into men's health on Cheddar, went to VaynerMedia, um, was on one of their podcasts, met Gary Vee, um, and then was able to use some of the press that I got to get on some of these other podcasts. And I'd been telling my story for a while. It wasn't like I just started on Impact Theory or I started on um, some of the other pod, Rich Rolls podcasts. I had been on other shows before that. And um, I think a lot of people, they see something like that and they see me and they're like, oh, like, you know, you just got on this. I'm like, no, I've been on plenty of other podcasts before that. Either practicing my story or being like, hey, well, who do you know? Or who do you know? Because the chances are if you're, you know, if you have a good story or you have something you want to share and the person likes you, they might introduce you to somebody else. And then it's helped me open up relationships for when I started my, my podcast, The Adversity Advantage, to be able to get people whose either shows who I've either been on or people that have inspired me along the way through my own journey and being able to have conversations with people that are connected to my story or that um, I've been connected to, to pay it forward and give audience, the audience exposure to some of these amazing people. Well, that's it, man. And, and I, what I want everybody to hear is what has led to the success you have today, hands down, in my opinion, is your ability to share your story and share it far and wide. Now, yeah. Do you need a story of doing drugs and going to jail? No, you don't. <laughs> nah, no, you but don't. everybody no. has a story and no one yeah. is going to share it for you. Yeah. And I preach this, Doug, to the, the brokers I coach is that, listen, that's the one competitive advantage you will always have. No one has your story. Right. And, but, but at the same time, you have to put the work into sharing it, get it shared, get it seen to make the amazing connections. Cause so many people are sitting on the sidelines and they're like, man, how does Doug connect with that guy and that woman? Very simple answer. He asks. Yeah. And I work I, and I hustle. And I think for me, it's like, and this is just my vision for for everything I'm doing right now is, is to, is to be able to share my stuff or on the biggest platforms I can. And just because I want to impact as many, as many people as I can. And, and the same thing with people I have on my show, I, I want people to listen and get some of the best advice from some amazing people and even stories and tips and tactics so that, you know, that I can pay it forward and they're able to, I'm able to give them the same hope that I got when I was in jail. And it's, it's, it's not easy, but I feel like this is what I'm called to do. I feel like I'm called to share my story. I feel like I'm called to have a podcast. I feel like I'm called to just connect with people because, you know, it's funny. I'm not going to get, um, I don't want to get like crazy spiritual, but I remember I was, when I first became a Christian, I was like very like, it was like, I was like, how do I become a better Christian? Right. Cause I was like, and I remember asking somebody that was a mentor of mine in the Christian community. He just said like, you know, what are you good at? Like, what do you like to do? And just do that. And that was something that I it stuck with me. I was like, wow. And that doesn't matter if you're a Christian your boot, like whatever, like just focus on what you're good at mm-hmm. and just keep doing that. And eventually the right things will happen. Well, here's what I want to wrap up the, the, the episode with a couple of questions. Yeah. You have two audiences I want you to speak to right now for yeah. that individual who is down and out. Let's face it. Mm. 2020 has been a shitty year for a lot of yeah. people and they could be finding themselves making a lot of bad decisions that they're masking as excuses because 2020 sucks. 
What would be your advice to that person who is just at that point of starting to let the negative momentum turn into one bad decision after another? What would you say to them right now? Um, well, I would say for one, acceptance. Okay, I think that's the, I think the biggest thing, Andy, one of the biggest things that people struggle with is the shame cycle of everything. Like, why am I feeling this way? Is this normal? And I think if people can understand that it's okay to feel that way and it's actually somewhat normal given the circumstances, it kind of lifts part of that weight off of them. And so once you accept it, like, okay, like, what, am I, what can I do about it? Because you have to understand the only person that's going to change your state and your situation is yourself. No one's going to pull you up off the couch. I mean, if you're lucky enough, somebody might help you off the couch, but no one's going to pull you completely off the couch. Um, So you have to take that first step. And what's that step look like? And for many, um, it's just just knowing that um, they go out for like a 10-minute walk. and just start changing their habits and saying, well, what can I do to better my mood right now? What kind of things can I do to get me to feeling better in a healthy way? Right. Because remember, every choice we make corresponds with a following emotion. Like every choice we make corresponds with a following mood, state of mind. So um, just really, I would almost like make a list being like, okay, like what are three things I can do every single day that I think would help me feel better? Because most people know what to do. Let's be real. Most people know the benefits of exercise. Most people know what to eat. Most people know that they shouldn't be like scrolling up and down on social media, but it's a matter of doing it. So write down those three things and then just start to, to slowly figure out how you can do every single one of them. So like I said, maybe if you're somebody who's never exercised before and you want to get out and start moving your body, maybe it starts with a 10 minute walk, you know, five, six days a week. Maybe it also something in there also starts with a 10, 15 minute phone call with somebody that you, you admire or you look up to. Maybe the third thing you do is you write down, um, you know, three to five positive things you feel about yourself. What about that? Now, let me ask you the part two question. Yeah. This is a different audience. The Doug we know today. Somebody's somebody's listening in and says, man, um, I know I have a story. I know it could impact my business. I could impact my life, but I'm either too afraid to share it. I don't think anybody would be interested. What would you tell that person right now? Um, if they don't know if their story is important, you mean? Yeah, they're, they're, they don't know how to share it. They're afraid to share it, but they know the impact it could have literally on their life or their business or a combination of both. Mm. What, what is the power of story and your story meant to you? It's everything. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gotten out and shared my story. I mean, I might've been in a different procession, uh, profession because, you know, being a trainer can be very monotonous day in, day out, counting sets and reps. It can be very challenging to kind of stick with that. Um, so I could have either changed professions. I could have still been in the, in the same health club. And right now, as we know it, the gym industry is being flipped upside down. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there's so much power in it. and you don't have to have a crazy story. Like everyone's like, you have a crazy story to me. It's like, yeah, it's my story. So it's not as crazy as some other people might see, but really here's what I would say. And here's what I tell people that I coach is have know your audience. And I'm sure if, you know, they're listening to this, or you're either being coached by you, Andy, they, I'm sure they have some sense of who their audience is. And what does the audience need to hear? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and I think the moment that you can, that you're under, your audience feels that you understand them, you win. So what do I mean by that? I mean, like, and it's simple. Like there's the old feel, felt, found, found method with therapy, right? They talk about when you're trying to share your feelings. 
You know, you can just say, like, I mean, so if, if my audience, I'm just going to use me as an example, and say my audience is somebody who's addicted to drugs, right? And I just say, hey, um, you know, I, I, to- I, 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 I totally understand that right now we're in the midst of hell in our world. There's so much despair. There's so much tension. There's so much uncertainty. And if you're somebody who's addicted to drugs right now and you're falling down that rabbit hole, I understand how you feel. Right? I know how you feel. And as a matter of fact, I've been there before and I felt that way when I was addicted to opiates. But I found that when I didn't address my behaviors or my habits and change the way I managed my stress, anxiety, I found that I was incarcerated on felony drug charges. Yep. And I just want to tell you that when I began to take control of my actions and take responsibility and just put one foot in front of the other and focused on small wins and started exercising, hanging out with the right people and having faith in myself, things changed. Simple, right? Took took me two minutes. Everything. Yep. And it's like, how can you understand, how can you position yourself to relate to where they're, where they are at? Because I think the, the biggest mistake people make is they try to tell where they are right now and expect somebody to relate to them. If you're an insurance, if you're somebody in the insurance industry who say you're trying to, like, is your, would you say like the, the people you're talking to, do they have like people working for them in the insurance business or they're selling insurance? So they're like selling they're, insurance. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, say your, say your customer, for instance, in the insurance business you're trying to talk to, say that person right now has been um, you know, burned and burned in the health insurance space and maybe they've had a bad experience or maybe they're just financially um, not able to buy like high-end insurance, whatever the case may be. I'm just saying that person who's really having trouble right now that you're trying to sell the insurance to that you're getting a no from, you can simply relate to them and be like, you know what? I understand how you feel. I have been in that situation before when I was broke and building my book of business or when I was changing jobs, I could barely, I could barely afford insurance as it was. But I found that when I did the little things in life, I assessed my budget. I said, where can I cut spending a little bit? Where can I do things that I can take more control of my own health so that until I can afford my own insurance, I can at least remain healthy then what you're doing here, you know, I found that my life improved. I was able to make more money and I was able to afford insurance. And now what you're doing is maybe you haven't gotten the sale for them directly right then and there, but you've built a relationship and you've Correct. built rapport and that's everything. And letting them know I'm just like you. I think that's so yeah. important that you have to let your audience know that resonation of I'm just like you. I'm not above you. I'm not flawless. Uh, I, I've, I have the same struggles and pains you have. That to me, that, that, person that's able to share that kind of story it's it's the sky is the limit as far as how how much they can take their business their life their relationships so doug let's finish here let's go you have a powerful story man thank you for sharing it today (laughs) yeah you've got you know three books out there from felony to fitness to free faith family and fitness in the heart of recovery you're the podcast host of the adversity advantage how can people follow you how can people get in touch with you what are the most effective ways well, the first thing I guess to get more of what I talk about here is listen to the podcast, The Adversity Advantage, which is available wherever podcasts live. And then if you just go to my website, dougbopes.com, it's got, you buy my books there. It's got some more of my um, media stuff. If you want to dig more into my story or some other stuff that 
I've been featured on, or I mean, I'm pretty active on Instagram at Doug Bobst. Um, you can find out more about me there. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed this. I love being able to kind of share my story and then not only just share it, but maybe articulate it in a way that is relatable to anybody. So I appreciate you having yeah. me on. Well, I, for everybody listening in, I think you, it's become obvious why I had Doug on. I mean, I'm a, I preach story to my clients. Um, I, I tell people, Doug, my story is about being an average kid in an average family. And I, I often yeah. figured out what the hell was my story. I had an average, I had a, oh, I had a good life. And, but the message is clear. You don't need a rock bottom story. You don't need a story of hardship or prison time or whatever, but everybody has one and your ability to share it more than anybody else is going to do wonders for you. It's going to do wonders for your relationships. It's going to do wonders for your business because at the end of the day, we have entered an economy where humans buy from humans. Yeah. Whether that, bought, think, yeah. Whether that purchase is a relationship or business, they, humans buy from humans. And then one, and then one of the things I'll say that to follow up is, you know, don't try to spend a bunch of time thinking about like some crazy hardship. If you don't have one, it's okay. Like not everyone's going to have what I did. I mean, bingo, right. But what you can think about is what problems have you solved in your story that your audience is facing Yep. and then intertwine parts of your story and how you solve them to help speak into their problems. So that way you, you literally feel like you're having a conversation with them. Just like I'm, I, in my mind, it's as crazy as it sounds, you know, after knowing, you know, what Andy does and having a conversation with him before we hopped on, I'm literally trying to speak into the minds of you all and being like, okay, I know his audience. They're probably going to be inspired that if I can, you know, go from being in the depths of despair and car share and felony drug charges to being where I am today, I can build a big book of insurance business by just hustling, being tenacious, not giving up on myself. Yep. And then some of the other cool tools that I've built. And, and I think once you get over that big fear of the R word rejection, you know, the thing game over, things change. And yep. one of the things that helped me was being incarcerated when I was in front of a bunch of grown men trying to do a push up, and I couldn't for my knees. I mean, my, my rejection was pretty high then. Right. Exactly. Um, but for, for people who are listening to this, it might just be reaching out to a few people that you've been wanting to reach out to or connecting yeah. with old friends that you have, have your gut feelings telling you to check on them. Maybe that leads you to a relationship. You never know. But, and then the last thing I'll say, and then we can wrap up is just be of service. And it doesn't mean you have to go and build a home for somebody, but just figure out how you can help like one person. Cause there's so many people that are struggling right now. Small businesses, yeah. as we know, yeah. it are struggling. People are struggling. I mean, how can you pay it forward and, and help other people get better? Well, and I think it's a very simple finality here is to get from where you are to where you want to be. Sometimes it's simple as asking. Yeah. So, well, Doug, thank you, man. This has been awesome. And I hope uh, you listening in have taken a boatload of notes. This was an amazing story. And you guys know what happens when confidence and clarity collide. Action happens. Go make it happen today. Hey, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you're finding bullpen sessions to be valuable to your business and your life, do me a favor. Please go to Apple. Please subscribe. Give it a five-star rating. And if you have anybody else in your life, whether it's in your personal tribe or in your business that could also be impacted by listening to these episodes, do me a favor. Share the bullpen sessions with them. I'd be extremely grateful. And until next time, go out, make it happen today. Put a smile on your face and have some fun.